0: I will tell anyone, and I have, you will be surprised at the number of students um, that I have passed the information on to. I have shared the information for um, ORNL and ORISE, and just, just I have shared the information with so many young adults, uh, because I think it's important, right?
1: You're listening to Further Together, the Orau podcast. Join your hosts, Michael and Jenna, as they discuss all things Orau. Through interviews with our experts who provide innovative scientific and technical solutions for our customers. They'll talk about ORAU's storied history, how we're impacting an ever changing world, and our commitment to our community. Welcome to Further Together, the ORAU
2: Podcast. In this episode of the Further Together podcast, we talk to Ashley Golden, ORAU biostatistician, and Tabitha Taylor, the City of Austin's Age-Friendly Program Coordinator. As the population of seniors and pre-seniors continues to rise, cities across the country and around the world must be better prepared to meet their needs. Austin is an age-friendly city with an age-friendly action plan that allows seniors to age in the place of their choosing while also cultivating a community of connection and support. For ORAU, the growing field of gerosciences gives us opportunities to apply our capabilities in support of the aging population. Ashley Golden and Tabitha Taylor, welcome to the Further Together podcast. Um, I know you both met at the Gerontological Society meeting um, last month or the month before. So talk about your meeting and how we got here to having this conversation today
0: sure so this is i'm tabitha taylor and just to highlight who i am um, and how i met ashley um so my current role is i am the age-friendly program coordinator for the city of austin um, and of course that's located in of course austin texas and i have a distinct distinct honor of um, meeting Ashley at the Gerontological Society of America Conference. And she was so very lovely and was standing there and was telling um, the good people all the great things that's happening at ORU and and so forth. And so, of course, I had to stop by and speak to her as I am an Oak Ridge National Laboratory interim alum and so i went over there and told her who i was and some of the great things that's happening not only in the city of austin but also with um, older adults all across the world and so she told me that she wanted to connect with me and here we are today and i'll let ashley kind of tell her pitch and her side of the story
1: (laughs)
3: Thanks, Tabitha. So, obviously, we hit it off at the conference uh, with the connection at ORU. Um, ORU was there uh, learning about geroscience and perhaps where we could become more involved in this growing area for research and for helping people age uh, through different aspects of their life through health, through transportation, um, you know, emergency preparedness, some of the other areas that ORU has long been involved, but just never with a focus on the older population. Mm -hmm. So we were at the conference exhibiting, had at the ORU booth and I was there talking to people because in my role as a researcher at ORU as an epidemiologist and biostatistician, I'm always looking for new collaborations, new innovations, you know, new things to advance science. And I love going to conferences and chatting with people like Tabitha. And so she comes to the booth and when she tells us she's an alum, we're like, oh, yay, how exciting. We love to meet people and hear your story, which I hope she will tell us more about later today. But it just was so engaging and what they're doing with you know, Age Friendly Austin is just really incredible and it has a very strong connection to what ORU is focusing on and our annual meeting of, and the Council of Sponsoring Institutions for ORU Consortium with Smart Cities. And I thought, wow, this is just a really, another dynamic aspect of Smart Cities Ties in very well, Tabitha's incredibly engaging, and I asked her if she'd be willing to do the podcast, and she said yes, so (laughs) that's how we're here today. That's great. Um,
1: Tabitha, I think everybody wants to know, what is an age-friendly city?
0: Sure, sure, and so I'll keep it short and sweet, but I'll tell you kind of like the history behind it, um, and then also how um, the city of Austin came to be an age-friendly city as well. So let me first start by telling you guys that in order to be an age-friendly city, you have to be designated um, through one or two entities. And so those entities, is either the World Health Organization or AARP. And so the city of Boston, we received our designation back in 2016 from AARP. And this was basically um, a follow-up from some work that had already been done for several years um, with our Commission on Seniors here in the city of Austin. So we've been very, I want I not just say blessed, but I would say also um, uh, fortunate to have the buy-in from our mayor and also city council staff and leadership to really support older adults in the movement of creating equitable services for the older adult population. So I would say back, and if I'm, I don't want to quote this year, but several years ago, I would say about four years ago, our um, current, um, our former mayor actually put together a task force on aging. And during that time, all of these. Uh, Issues that older adults face begin to rise and really bubble up and they begin to understand that a lot of times our funding Our federal funding that comes down is allocated to other services such as adolescents and even the general population but we don't tend to uh, Follow those who is aging in place. We don't tend to look at um, the social uh, this of health, as we look at as we look at transportation, housing, um, even issues like social social isolation, um, things such as um, physical activity, those things are not tend does tend to be highlight highlighted, excuse me, um, for older adult population, and so as these things bubbled up we decided that we need to do more as a city. And so we began to look into becoming an age-friendly city. and, and, And what that does is it really makes every department within the city city of Austin accountable for the services um, that they implement, also their program implementation. And so, like I said before, we we were designated as an age-friendly city back in 2016, and our city council actually adopted that. So within our age-friendly city, there are um, eight livability um, domains within the age-friendly action plan. And I'll highlight those very quickly. So we cover outdoor spaces and buildings, transportation, housing, social participation, respect and social inclusion, civic participation and employment, communication and information, and also community and health services. So that's a brief overview of what it means to be an age-friendly city, what it means to take on um, this designation and to ensure that we're holding um, those in power accountable for supporting our older adult population.
2: So the idea, Tabitha, is to help people in, in help older adults essentially be able to age in place, have access to city Absolutely. services, um, get help when they need it, that sort of thing?
0: Absolutely, and so, You know, what we're looking at is not just for the assistance, right? So we're looking at older adults. We want to support them. But we're so very concerned about their quality of life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So imagine being isolated um, and being withdrawn or maybe you've lost your loved one or your companion, Tend, what happens with older adults is so they tend to become tend to become isolated and so in that regard it's very important that we allow them to have that social participation and one way we do that within the city of boston is oh my god so many different ways but one way i can definitely give an example is our parks and recs um, that is an area for older adults to come in into those recreational centers to participate with one another uh, to support one another and so forth um, and so the design, like I said before, is that we're interested once again with assisting them, as was already forestated. But we're also interested in, like I said, the quality. Mm-hmm. And it's a really, it's really a holistic approach. If you're okay mentally, then chances are your health, your physical health, would be better. And so, like I said, if we take the holistic approach, then we tend to have better outcomes as a whole. Okay.
1: Great. And so this holistic approach, I'm assuming, um, has, some, it has a direct connection to, you've mentioned it and Michael mentioned it, aging in place. Um, how, why is that so important? How does that help kind of the older population if they're able to age in place?
0: Sure. And so when we look at aging in place, um, many times, people just automatic, automatically think that they're going to stay in their home. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's not necessarily just their physical home; it also can be within the city. Mm-hmm. We have a large bath um, of older adults in different age groups, and so when we're talking about older adults. Um, ARP defines older adults as age 50 and up, which is kind of scary because I was just thinking in terms of my husband, he'll be 50 in just a few years. <laughs> but when we're talking I about um, aging in place, <laughs> we have to keep in mind that we have some older adults at the age of 50 that the current home in which they're residing in is fine, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But when we look at older adults as they age, and let's say they're 70 or 75, there are certain modifications that we may need to include, right. um, such as in their shower or their bathroom. We may need to add railing. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, it may be that they may need um, to change their their walkway or add, um, you know, a ramp. It mm-hmm. could be so many different things that they may need to help accommodate them as they're aging. We have some older adults that say, you know what? I don't need so much space because of the fact that I raised my three or four children and grandchildren in this home. I no longer need that much space. And so I don't mind going to um, an older adult apartment facility Mm -hmm. or living area um, or complex rather. Um, Some of them like little cottages and so forth. And so when we're saying aging in place, it's really whatever or whatever choice that that older adult chooses and like i said before it may not still be that same house it may be an apartment but they're able to stay in that same city where their family and friends may also reside. got it right it's and so and so ultimately it helps them right we talked about about the holistic approach Mm -hmm. and uh being that my position is with the city of austin but i'm housed at austin public health we're we're also interested in the health best health outcomes and mm. allowing each individual to reach their full potential regardless of their age and mm. so aging in place is just an opportunity for older adults To once again um, have better health outcomes, um, to engage, to avoid that social social isolation, um, and then also to just keep a routine and a normal routine
3: as well. Right. And I would just support that and say that the research definitely indicates that as people age, as long when they have the ability to still have control or be able to affect their the decisions around their life and and they feel more comfortable in their own home or their own environment or the environment they choose as um very nicely described that it does indeed have a major impact on the health outcome their health outcomes and their ability to maintain um you know their their treatment protocols Mm -hmm. with adherence to to taking medications, to going to doctor's appointment, and just overall mental health, um, it's a major issue. And so it's very important to give people those the ability, like the, the program in Austin does, to support them in whatever decision they make to have control over how and where they are aging. Mm-hmm. And that's going to lead to better outcomes, have, you know, that are better for the whole community, not just that individual.
0: Absolutely, absolutely.
2: What I, what I personally find interesting about all of this is it, I'm at a place in my life, not personally for me, but for my mother-in-law actually, um, you know, my father-in-law passed away, but she's a frequent visitor to our home and we actually had to refit our guest bathroom um mm-hmm. so that she could use it you know she's in her 80s and she couldn't step over the bathtub to take a shower so you know we've outfitted the the our guest bathroom with a accessible shower um uh, you know higher toilet mm-hmm. grab bars you know all of those things so um i think it's even important certainly from a city perspective but i think even from a from a personal perspective, um, to look at, you know, as, I mean, we may be in our home when I'm in my seventies and eighties, so this will come in handy for us, but, um, you know, certainly being able to let my mother-in-law be comfortable when she comes to our house. So, you know, I think it's something that's, it's very personal and individualized, but it also makes you know, the ability for her to, you know, spend time with us possible more often, if that makes sense.
1: Tabitha, it sounds like Austin is really paving the way for um, age-friendly cities. Do you know, how prevalent are these across the United States? Is this kind of a newer thing um, that's taking off or has this been growing for some time and we just maybe haven't heard about it?
0: So it's definitely um it definitely has been growing for some time now. Um I don't want to quote statistics, but I will say that there are age-friendly cities all across the world. Okay, That's and true. so what's happening now is that, um, and rightfully so, there has been now a highlight for older adults, and so now we are hearing the term "age-friendly" more often, and people are now catching on. And like I said, rightfully so, um, because we should be supporting everyone regardless um, of their of their uh, age, um, and so. There is, like I said, there's several cities all across the world. Um, Austin is definitely paving the way. And one thing I do want to share with you all is that, you know, buy-in from your government leaders, mm-hmm. very local government leaders, is very, very important. And so what I'm finding out, other age-friendly cities are asking and calling and saying, how can we get this buy-in from our leadership, our, our local government, and so forth? And so I will say in that regard, Austin is definitely leading. (laughs) I will say that because our government, our local officials, um, our mayor and our city council, they have been 100% behind our age-friendly city initiatives, and also our age-friendly action plan. And that has been helpful because, like I said before, we are able then to hold every department which in the city of Austin accountable for their services that they're rendering to the older adult population.
2: Tabitha, I know that that buy-in from leaders is important. Why do you think in Austin, I mean you have such that strong sense of buy-in. What makes the leaders in, in Austin different from from say another community? I mean that they're they're so bought into this and they support the action plan and the was it just you know an obvious thing to do or was it you know did it take conversations
0: sure.
2: to get sure. them there? Well, no. what
0: I was yeah, so let me also state this. My position was passed um, through city council um, back in 2017. However, the funding was not released um, until 2019 because we have protocol and so forth. Sure. Um, So I actually came on board in this position in February of 2019. And so I cannot take credit (laughs) for all of the work that has been done prior to me taking um, this position. And I have to say solely that the commission on seniors within the city of Austin, which is a full blown commission, um, advocacy commission that stands before our city council and make sure that they let them know what is going on as it relates to the issues that older adults face they have worked very diligently very diligently in order to share the appropriate information with our city leaders it's their work literally it's the work that they've done um, testifying before city council um, sending emails calling the staff members Mm -hmm. all of these things that has led us to this point in becoming an age-friendly city. So I cannot take credit <laughs> for that. I have to applaud our Commission on Seniors and the work that they have done. And not just the Commission on Seniors. Also, um, within the city of Boston, we have several um, aging entities that have come together, whether they're non profit or for profit as well but they also have come to our commission on seniors meetings and they come and present to our commission on seniors um, and advise them on different issues or concerns that they may have and from there our city um city council passed resolutions and recommendations and so forth and so with that said i'll have to just applaud just all of the aging services within the city of Austin and our commission on seniors
2: Awesome. That's awesome, though, because it sounds like I mean it truly was a community-wide effort to to get the Age Friendly Austin designation off the ground, but then also to continue the services uh, that are available and the programming and the you know the the things that you're doing now um, to assist older adults. Absolutely. So, so, do you have a blueprint for other cities who, <laughs> who might want to get involved?
0: <laughs> so, well, I will say that I do not have a blueprint, but I would encourage everyone to visit um, the World Health Organization's um, age-friendly website, and I can share that later on. Um, and also to visit ARP's website, and you can type in um, "age-friendly city," and all of the information will come up. But ARP has done a phenomenal job with outlining um, the how to become an age-friendly city, um, what it takes. And they give you a toolkit. I mean, they start you off from um, just, you can start with a needs assessment. They give you the survey. So they give you everything that you will need um, to become an age-friendly city. That's great. So I would definitely tell anyone who's interested to 100% visit those websites, Um, And they have, like I said, outlined everything you would need in order to become an age-friendly city. Now, what they can't do for you is get that buy-in, right? (laughs) So you would need to build that relationship with your local government, um, any institutions within your city that may be interested, um, any nonprofits and for-profits organizations that may be interested A person will have to do the work, right? Right. So they can use some things, but there's some work, grassroots work that you're going to have to do for yourself.
2: Gotcha. That makes perfect sense. So Ashley, where do, where do we as an organization go from here with, um, whether it's age friendly cities, whether it's gerosciences in general, um, you know, I know this is this is an arena that we're looking at very heavily. So what happens next for us?
3: Well, first off, um, as I mentioned, you know, the thing that got us most excited about this conversation with Tabitha is how closely Age-Friendly Cities ties into or use our um, our council sponsoring institutions, you know, ORU is a consortium of universities. We have been since our beginning, and our mission is to, you know, connect our university partners with our federal partners and sponsors to make sure that research and science is, you know, on the forefront and that we're responding to the needs of our nation and to our communities. And I think. Age-friendly city is is a great example of that, and especially when we think about, you know, a related area, which is the theme of our upcoming annual meeting, um, which is March 9th through 11th um, in Knoxville, Tennessee, and that is smart cities and smart communities. And in fact, um, even though this topic was chosen over a year ago, after we went to the GSA conference in Austin and we talked to Tabitha and many other people there and heard all the incredible, innovative things they're doing for the older community, we reached back out to our speakers and said, hey, can you also talk about how the smart cities and the technology and how those things are potentially impacting or how they overlap with age-friendly? And every single person came back and said, yes, we'd love to talk about that. That's such an important aspect because, you know, as as a country, frankly, as a world, you know, our demographics are shifting and, and we are, oh, sorry about that. <laughs> we do have a large proportion of our population that are going to be in that 65, 55, 65 and older demographic. And therefore we need to be looking towards their, their needs and the things that make their lives easier. So, again, I think the, the age-friendly city was an incredible tie-in. I think ORU, because of some of the other work we do, have we have other areas that we're looking at. Mm-hmm. And I'll just kind of briefly go over those. One is misinformation. Right. Another way to say that is fake news. Mm-hmm. And how that might you know, affect or impact decisions that older people make on their health. With regard to medications or vaccinations, and you know how that could be um, mitigated, or how we could you know affect that through education campaigns or health communication, and another related to misinformation or fake news that's not health, but is the vulnerability of the older population to scams. Right and. Potentially, Mm -hmm. I mean, especially financial scams, Um, they're targeted and and how we can arm those folks with tools and information to help protect themselves from those sort of things. Um, I think everybody can give you a story of a a parent or a friend or, you know, a a loved one, someone in their community who's been the target and maybe victim of a financial scam. Mm -hmm. And it's really sad. And we would like to do what we can from a health community or from a communication and education standpoint to try to, to avoid that and to try to pre- preempt that where possible. So that's one area we're looking at really closely. Um, you know, something related to the aging and re- aging in place that we've talked about a lot. And Tabitha and I actually talked about this at the conference is Okay, we want people to stay in their homes because it's best for them and it's best for the community. But how do we plan for an emergency? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And evacuating those people right. and having shelters that can accommodate their mobility or durable medical equipment needs. And that's really, to me, personal, it hits me. You know, when I start thinking about it, just a couple of years ago here in Tennessee, we had the massive Gatlinburg fires and they had a lot of difficulty. And the city manager of Gatlinburg talked about one of their lessons learned being how to help people living in their homes who are older, who have wheelchairs or who, even if they have no mobility issue, they have certain medications or certain equipment they need how do you find them? How do you rapidly evacuate them? You know, they had less than I think I've heard two to four hours during the Gallenberg fires to try to evacuate thousands of people from the city and all the outlying areas and the mountains, which the roads were difficult. So, and then not only how do you evacuate them, but then when they brought them to the main um place at the Rocky Top Sports Complex where they kind of had home base and the shelter where they were bringing people, they didn't have the things that those people needed and they were having to send them to hospitals or I think even to sometimes uh, long-term care facilities when they didn't really have an illness or a medical need. They just needed a little extra physical support or they needed access to um, you know, a ventilation machine or something like that, or oxygen machine, oxygen. not ventilation, but oxygen. And they just couldn't do that at the Rocky Top Sports shelter. Right. So, you know, I'd like to hear what Tabitha thinks and how Austin maybe is thinking about yes. emergency Absolutely. preparedness.
0: Absolutely. And I'm so happy you brought that up, Ashley. Um, let me also just add that our preparedness is within the city of Austin, we have worked very closely together. And I mentioned all the different domains um, that the Age-Friendly Action Plan is made up of. And so what I'm happy to report is our domain that focuses on um, community engagement and also um, community support and health we are sitting around the table monthly, and one of the areas that we are focusing on um, this year is preparedness. Um, not only preparedness, but mental health, and we're also focusing on homelessness. And so when you brought up about you know natural disasters and so forth, it's so very important that we engage um, the older adult community. Um, not only that, but that we put together a toolkit for older adults um, so that they'll have their copies of their birth certificates, their license, every their medication, always have a medication list so that we're able to give them the appropriate medication um, at the appropriate time as well. That tends to be an issue whenever there's a natural disaster. There's not a medication list, right? So even if we bring um, our partner with different pharmacies and have the pharmacist there, it's hard to distribute those medications without a list. We don't want to do anyone any harm right and so um, that's an area that we definitely focus on is ensuring that we are spreading that message um, for older adults um, so that they know what they need to have in a safe place Um, it's important that their children know or maybe a close neighbor know and so forth but it's very important that they have a designated area to store the things so that they can grab and go so whenever they make it to the shelter or wherever um their destination may be we can service them appropriately
3: yeah that's incredible and i think it all comes down to education and communication and and like you said i like that you brought up the the family members and the caregivers Mm -hmm. you know caregivers is another area that that we um, with some of our university partners are looking at how we can better prepare caregivers, not just for emergency preparedness situations, but, you know, for for lots of things. We're in the Appalachian region of Tennessee, and in these rural areas, these caregiver, caregivers are separated from, you know, other, you know, support groups or from access to other resources to help them prepare for... A variety of things that could happen. Uh, As the caregiver, they need to be ready, uh, have a plan in place, um, even just so they can go out to the grocery store for, for 30 minutes or an hour, depending on the person they're caring for. And how do they accomplish that? And how do you utilize social networks when people are spread apart? by geographically it's a different you know in a city maybe there's always people close by but out in some of the rural areas it could be miles before there's even another person so those are some of the things we're looking at with with regard to caregivers is just providing them the support they need so that they can provide their elder person they're taking care of everything they need for again the goal to have happy safe people and, you know, good health outcomes. So um, Mm -hmm. along with that, I would say uh, caregivers are often family members, Mm -hmm. but there's a really huge need for professionals. And one of the things ORU does and has done well and, you know, was part of, Tabitha was part of that uh, internship program Mm -hmm. at the Mm -hmm. National Lab, but across the board and workforce development and filling the pipeline with professionals and scientists that can then have a positive impact. And we see professional caregivers as one of those areas, but just generally all scientists um, related to geroscience, whether it's in health or transportation or uh, education, just across the board. And like she said earlier, I won't quote any statistics, But recently on an NPR um, webinar, I heard that there is a huge discrepancy right now in the number of people graduating from medical school with a specialty in pediatrics or obstetrics compared to the number of babies actually being born in the U.S., that our birth rate has declined while we all know that... The proportion of the population in their older age group is increasing, yet that message hasn't made it down to the medical school level, and we're still producing, you know, a lot of pediatricians and not enough geriatricians. So that's something that ORU is also looking at from our programs, and that we have to promote internships and fellowships and interest. In these type of science areas where we think there's lots of opportunity for job growth and clearly there's just a need
2: right um, there are a, definitely a lot of issues related to um, gerosciences in general and it it looks like Ashley we have a lot of places that we as an organization can jump in but um, I wanted to Tabitha, ask you, since Ashley brought it up again, um, your your time at ORNL, you an, you're were you an ORISE alum, if I remember correctly from an earlier conversation. How did your time Absolutely. there influence yes. you professionally?
0: Yeah, so I would love to talk about that and I have to be transparent um, when I share that story. And so um, I actually went to a historically black um, college um, there in Jackson, Tennessee. I graduated from Lane College with my bachelor's in biology and a minor in chemistry. And my plan all along was to um, go to Lane College, get a degree in biology, move forward and go to be a physician assistant.
3: Okay. And so
0: as I was completing my studies and moving forward, I actually realized that I would be. Um, done with my core classes early and and there we didn't have a December commencement and so I had this time um, I'm like what am I going to do during this time so I was applying to all these internships and sure, sure enough um, I was an all rise um, awardee and I was going to be in the lab and I'm just like I have no interest to work in the lab you know, <laughs> I can do this, I can do this but I really don't want to work in the lab I have to be transparent about this guys And so I said, you know what? I don't think it will hurt for me to go. I'm sure I will learn something. I'm going to go. My primary role there was to um, grow crystals, right? So I uh, did a lot of um, crystallography there, and I was under Dr. Flora Mayer at the time. And so what I will say is that this particular internship opened up my eyes. Um, We tend to think about um, health and we think about Um, just direct relationship as it has for services. But a lot of times people don't realize the component of research as it relates to the lab work and how that supports um, supporting um, different cognitive uh, decline um, uh, diseases such as Huntington's and dementia and Alzheimer's and so forth. And so there I was able to study the structure of different proteins that is responsible for a lot of those cognitive um, disorders um, and issues that older adults face. So it was phenomenal. I will say that at the time, I was only supposed to be there for three months, and my internship got extended three times. (laughs) So I was there for almost a year. I was there for about 10 months. Um, and just the, the, the internship itself, how it just opened up my eyes on how, you know, when we talk about health, we, I said it earlier, it's really holistic. Right. And Mm -hmm. so it could be anywhere from working in the lab, of course, to, you know, that direct service as a physician and working in the hospital. And I think a lot of times when we think about health, we automatically think about nursing. We all, I mean, it's just like we think about the medical components of right. it in um, the direct service. But this internship allowed me to see health in a different capacity. Um. Also, allowed me to understand our government better. Um, I tell people all the time, like I was at Oak Ridge National Laboratory where the atomic bomb was built, you know. (laughs) And so, just the history of the United States itself, and so many other things. I mean, I was able just to learn so much in, in a short period of time. And so, I think as I was talking about the holistic approach, the opportunity that this internship gave me, it added to my holistic career okay, and it's opportunities like this that help not only shape and mold our professional career, but it also helped me as an individual person to develop myself. Um, I was, I'm from Michigan. So when I went to um, an Oak Ridge, of course I was by myself for that duration of time. And so just like I said, it enriched me as a person. And it also definitely made an impact on my professional career that I will carry for the rest of my life.
2: Awesome. It sounds like you would recommend that other students throw their hat in the ring for a opportunity. opportunities.
0: Absolutely. I will tell anyone and I have you will be surprised at the number of students um, that I have passed the information on to. I have shared the information for you. Um, ORNL oh, and rise. and just, just, I have shared the information with so many young adults uh, because I think it's important, right? I grew up in Flint, Michigan. Right. Um, a lot of people know Flint right now mm-hmm. because of the water crisis, right? And I grew up in an era where you know, Flint. It was a motor city. was booming when my mom and my grandparents um, was was coming of age, and my grandparents were young adults. My mom was growing up there, and it was booming, right? There were so many jobs, um, so many things that you can do as it relates to recreational activities. Right. And over the years, over the years, it saw it have seen a great, great decline there, right? And so opportunities, like I said, I don't want to say there's not opportunities, but there's great opportunities in the city of Flint. However, it has not been, it's not the same as it once was. Sure. So growing up, you know, I always wanted to go out of the state of Michigan and I didn't know where I would end up, but I am just grateful for opportunities um, for, for young adults such as the ones that I have experienced, especially at the laboratory um, where I was able to tap into a different world, a world that was different than than the way I was. I grew up. Right. I didn't grow right. up knowing much about, you know, working in labs, let alone doing anything related to crystallography. I had never heard of that <laughs> term, um, even through most of my matriculation through college, I had never heard of that. And so, like I said before, working, even being there. Uh, for this internship, overage, it definitely opened up my eyes to another world and allowed me to experience something that I'm sure I would not have experienced if it wasn't for this particular opportunity and for um, you all partnering with historical black colleges and other and other institutions. So for that, I am very grateful and I would encourage everyone, <laughs> regardless um, if you definitely have an interest in, in the STEMs or if you think, well, I have an interest in this area, but I'm not sure. I would say still apply because I think there's room for you and they can support you and figure out where you best um, be suited there.
2: Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that, Tabitha. Um, and just by way of wrapping up, because we are over time. Mm-hmm. Um, I just want to say that we are grateful that you've taken time to talk with us today, you and Ashley both. Tabitha, where can people find, if they're interested in um, making their city-age friendly or starting the process? Ta- tell us again where people can go to get that information.
0: Sure. So, what you can do is you can go to www.aarp.org and you put in a backslash there and you can type in livable communities. Okay. And um, yeah, livablecommunities.com. And all of a sudden you'll see it. It'll pop up. And I do want to add that there is over 430 age friendly communities nationwide. Oh, wow. Awesome.
2: That's good to know.
3: Absolutely,
2: yes. And Ashley, if people want to find out more about you, they can go to ORAU.org, right?
3: Absolutely.
2: All right. Well, anything else that either of you want to say before we uh, end the show today?
0: If there's someone who's kind of interested in um, how we became Age Friendly City and they would like to speak with me personally, Mm -hmm. they can feel free to um, email me, excuse me, at agefriendlyaustin at austintexas.gov. Great.
2: Awesome.
3: And Tabitha, thank you so much for joining us today and educating us on all the things related to Age-Friendly City and just having this discussion. And I would hope and encourage uh, everyone to think about, you know, these things we've talked about today related to geroscience and Age-Friendly Cities and how it impacts your life. And if you want to continue the conversation, we are going to be doing additional podcasts, you know, further down the road and also um, at the annual meeting of the council sponsoring institutions in March, which can also be found on the ORU website.
2: Absolutely. So stay tuned. More to come. (laughs)
3: All right. Thanks, guys. Thank Thank
2: you you. both very much. Have a great day. Thank you. Thank you for listening to
1: Further Together, the ORAU podcast. To learn more about any of the topics discussed by our experts, visit www.orau.org. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn at O-R-A-U and on Instagram at O-R-A-U together.